Welcome back to a basketball Buckeye talk. Doug Maurice, Bill Landis, previewing Ohio State at Purdue on Wednesday, talking about the state of the team. We'll talk about their possible destinations in the NCAA tournament. Uh, we're going to talk about the Cam Williams suspension, what it means for the Buckeyes, and take a couple questions from you guys. We might do five minutes of football, but probably not. This is posting on Monday. National Signing Day is Friday. We're probably going to do our normal Wednesday football podcast on Wednesday after we talk with Urban Meyer on National Signing Day. We might talk to some of the early enrolled players. There might be finalized news about Greg Schiano, who may or may not be leaving for the New England Patriots. There may be our first chance to talk to Alex Grinch. So anyway, if you are a loyal Buckeye Talk podcast listener, here's the deal. This is a special extra basketball podcast. We'll be back Wednesday, but probably not Wednesday morning as usual, because we want to let National Signing Day happen. So it'll probably be Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday night, maybe Thursday, but we'll keep you posted. But for now, it's basketball. Bill, will Ohio State beat Purdue? No, 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 no. (laughs) We're teasing you. That's the tease to stick around for the end of the podcast for that. Let's start with the news that you have written about, you have analyzed. Everyone listening to this knows it. Kim Williams indefinitely suspended. How big is this? How much does it change what you think about this team right now when Cam Williams is on the floor and part of this team and when he is not? Uh, it changes a decent amount. I, I, like To be realistic about it, he's their fifth leading scorer. So it's not... It's not the worst loss you could take, I guess, on surface level. But we know, like, the roster situation and the depth of this team. And, like, in particular, the, the depth or lack thereof of guys who can score. Um, and it, it he's the fifth leading scorer, and it kind of stops at him in terms of guys who can who can put the ball in the basket. Um, there's a significant drop-off. You wrote about the bench's inability to score um, before the Illinois game. Uh, I think Michael Potter's leading bench scorer, like, four points per game. Yep. Um, Cam is averaging eight and he's the fifth leading scorer. Everyone else's or the guys above him are all in double figures. But, um, so it's not like you're losing a, a, a key cog. You're not losing a guy who I think on most nights might be the difference between a win and a loss, but he does have an impact. He's their most consistent shooter. He leads the big 10 in three point shooting. He does help them space the floor. Um, He's not a guy we – know, we know what Cam is. He doesn't create his own offense. He relies on his teammates to put him in the right spots. So and when they do, he usually hits the shot. Um, and he he draws the defense out because he can score from kind of kind of anywhere. Not so much in the rim, but but he's done a little bit more of that this year. Not the best defender, a little bit improved this year. Not the best ball handler, a little bit improved this year. But you just miss the spacing element that regardless of who Ohio State replaces him with, whether that's Musa Jallo, Andre Wesson, or Andrew Dockich, um, those guys just don't provide because they're not the consistent kind of shooter that, that Cam Williams is. So it's a loss. He's a fifth-year guy. He had been uh, bringing a little more, I think, from a leadership standpoint this year than he has in the past. Um, so it is a loss. It's not It's not, It's not. not monumental. I don't, it doesn't really change what I think Ohio State can do um, over the course of however long Cam's out, but I'm not going to pretend like it's something they can easily get over. Are you? What is your level of not confidence? But do you think he'll be back for the Big Ten tournament? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think like Chris Holtman left the door open for Cam to maybe possibly play against Purdue. I don't think that's going to happen. This is this is. I'm fairly confident in saying this is a multi-game suspension. 
Um, and I think if it wasn't, they would have said so. I wrote about it on Cleveland.com that when, when Caleb Wesson was suspended earlier in the year, he was suspended for one game, and they told you he was suspended for one game, and this is indefinite. So we don't know exactly how long it is, but it feels like it's going to be multiple games. Um, so I don't think he'll play against Purdue, but they have six regular season games left. Um, I think he will be, will be back before the regular season is over. This is a thing that I wonder about. When I wrote that little thing about the bench and, and what when the cam suspension happened, what immediately popped in my head, because this was a hot, hot, hot topic for the Thad Mata teams for many years. There were a lot of the good Thad Mata teams just rode their starters, just played their best guys, and I wrote a million stories about, are they going to wear down? Aren't they going to wear down? And it was like... John Diebler played 37 minutes, and David Lighty played 37 minutes, and William Buford played a bunch of minutes, and Sullinger, and they Kraft played a bunch. They just played their best players. And it was always like, in the end, it's like, don't you want the best possible players on the floor at all times? And again, I wrote so many variations of the story. My, my opinion on it sort of evolved over time. That in the end, if your starter at 80% is better than your bench guy at 100%, play your starter. Mm-hmm. Now, you'd rather have your starter at 100%, but if your bench is next, you want the best players on the court. So it's like Izzo would always play 10 guys, and it's like, oh, man, why can't they play 10 guys? And it's like, yeah, but sometimes they put their 10th guy in, and it's like, boy, Jared Sullinger sure just beat the crap out of Michigan State's 10th guy. Way to have a deep bench. <laughs> so in the Illinois game, and, and this actually, I mean, this wasn't terrible, but this is about, I mean, where they are. Tate played 33 minutes. C.J. Jackson played 35. Kata played 37. And then Wesson, Andre Wesson, 26. Caleb Wesson, 23. Dockich off the bench, 23. So really the way they made up for Cam's minutes was more from Andre Wesson, more from Andrew Dockich. Nine minutes from Potter and 13 minutes from Jallo wasn't a huge ask. That didn't change that much for them. Right. So if Cam was playing, I don't even know, do you have Cam's minutes there? He's playing about 20, I think. So if Cam's playing 20 and the result is 10 more minutes for Andre Wesson and 10 more minutes from Andrew Dockich, or maybe 8 more minutes for Andre Wesson, 8 more minutes for Dockich, and 4 more minutes for Jallo. 22.2. Okay, like, my main question was not, like, offensive contribution or spacing, although all those points you made are valid. Mine was just another body Mm -hmm. for a team, as you said, that already doesn't get a lot of scoring off the bench. They play three guys, kind of four, right? Pot- Potter plays. They really have a four-man bench. Yeah. Kyle Young doesn't really play. He got his, f- it's hit and miss. Yeah. They have a four-man bench. So now they have a three-man bench. Do you have any concern, either related to the Cam Williams injury or even separate from that, that the guys that they lean on, i.e., mostly when we're talking about this, it's Kata. Jay Sean and CJ. Do you have concern that they are going to wear down and that by the end of the year, when you want them at their best in the Big Ten tournament and NCAA tournament, they won't be at their best because they've played so much and carried such a load? Yeah, I think that's been a concern of mine all year. And I, I think maybe more so with Kata. Because um, he's so skinny. Because he's so skinny. Yeah, like his. Uh, and Chris Holman has talked about it. Like, I don't think it's a conditioning thing, but like Kata, like Kata's motor at times has been inconsistent, and I think it's just sometimes he gets tired, and we've seen that in games. I think he got 
tired against Gonzaga. Um, he was tired a little bit in some of those games they won during that eight-game winning streak, and they won despite of that. Now, part of that is like he gets double teamed a lot now, and he gets he gets banged around a lot physically because he is so skinny. And teams like I think teams try to knock him off the block a little bit. Um, and like CJ Jackson has never played this much before, and it's like Jay Sean's played this much basically his entire career. He didn't play this much as a freshman, um, but I think he. He actually, I think, benefits from playing that much. He gets tired like everybody, but... And I don't quite understand this, but Chris Holman has said, like, Jay Sean Tate is kind of built physically in a way that if he's not playing a lot, he tends to get out of shape easily. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that means. I've been out of shape my entire life. (laughs) Um, But I think, in a weird way, it might benefit Jay Sean to play that much. Um, But CJ has never played this much in his career, and Kate has never played this much in his career either. So I do have concerns about those those two guys wearing down. I mean, the, the one thing is, it's like, I guess I would say I kind of have concerns, but not really because, I again, of what, what I've seen here before. You know, I, I never felt like, for instance, there were times when the, some of those Ohio State teams didn't go as far in the tournaments as I thought they would. You know, like, mm-hmm. they lost to Tennessee in the Sweet 16 because, like, they had some foul trouble. I didn't think they had foul trouble because they were tired because they played so many minutes. They lost to Kentucky in the Sweet 16 because they shot bad. I didn't think that, like, William Buford had a bad shooting day that day because he was tired. Maybe I should have thought that. Maybe in retrospect I should have thought that. <laughs> so the, the thing is, it really I – just, I just found this, and I wasn't at the Illinois game. I was comfortably sitting in my lounge chair in my basement while you were working. <laughs> I was watching that and thinking to myself, Jay Sean, Kada, and CJ just carry such a load. Yeah. Kada is like I, – I, I just was watching Kada thinking like – I, maybe his arms just will get tired just from the act of lifting the ball to shoot it so much. <laughs> like, every time down the court, it's like, here, take the ball, do something. Yeah. Okay, he does. Jay Sean is such a two-way player. And because he's kind of short for his position, so many of his baskets are, I'm backing down, I'm backing a die down, I spin, I pump fake, I spin again, I grab contact like, there's yeah. not a lot of easy baskets for him. And then CJ against Illinois. And Illinois played defense in a way that a lot of other opponents aren't going to play. But it was like, CJ, every time down the court, it was just like, could you let the man bring the ball up? He is being yeah. harassed every second of the game. Oh, my God, give him a break. And I just thought those three guys played a lot of minutes, but they were hard minutes. Hard minutes yeah. against a team that was hard to play, and I just thought, man, that's hard to sustain. Yeah, but I, I do think that they're they're not. I don't know, like the rest of Big Ten play. They play Rutgers again. Rutgers kind of plays that way, but they're not as talented as Illinois. Um, so I don't know. I don't think they're going to see much of that again. Kata said after the game, like we've we've never seen consistent pressure like that this entire season. They played some teams that have pressed them because. That's what you do against teams that don't have good point guards. Or not, I shouldn't say that now. There are good point guards now, but they weren't at the beginning of the year. Um, but even like Purdue, Purdue's a great team, one of the best teams in the country. I don't think they're going to play that way. So it is, it's a kind of a unique situation, I think. Um, but it does just sort of plant the seed. Like if you want to think ahead to like NCAA tournament, you don't know who they're going to play yet. You don't know who they might get matched up against in the Big Ten tournament. Um, but teams that play that style of basketball, I think, are going to remain problematic for this team because they're so thin. Those guys have to play so many minutes. And um, like among the trio of guys you rely on the most, there's not like an awesome ball handler. CJ is the best and has been better this year than I thought he'd be. But he's not 
great at it all the time. We saw that. He had three turnovers in like a minute and a half in the first half against Illinois. And we'll, we'll move forward. I don't want to, we don't spend too much time looking back to Illinois. But again, I thought that was, what game was that, would you say? And, and would you count that? I, that to me looked like losable game. Mina lost it last year. Yeah. How, what number game is that this season? That that you said to yourself, yeah, that was losable. Like, th-. and we've talked about this before. <clears throat> they win, they're down, they come back. It's tough. They got, yeah. they got to get a stop. They get a stop. They got to get a basket. They get a basket. They can't, they got to play smart. They got to make sure they don't have any goofy turnovers. They play smart. They, they got, they just do the right thing almost every time in every game. What? How many games would you have you marked down now in your head that you thought? Yeah, probably would have lost that last year just because through a combination of like not playing team defense, making a stupid mistake at the wrong time, and you lose a tight one. Off the top of my head, I don't like. I'm I'm trying to. I think I I wrote that after the Nebraska game that was kind of close. It was like their fourth game in like three days or something like that. Um, So that's That's next on Fox (laughs) FS1. It's a special Big Ten doubleheader at noon. It's Ohio State, Illinois. And at four, it's Ohio State, Maryland. Right. So that, I'm looking at the schedule. Whatever now. TV wants, baby. By the way, that is a thing, by the way. Like every coach, every coach in this league is like sort of rolling his eyes, gently complaining about this schedule that, that has been foisted upon the Big Ten by these TV partners. Um, the Nebraska game, the Illinois game, for sure. Um, I thought Northwestern, they went down for like a, a second on the road. I thought maybe they'd lose that game. Um, I, f- I got the vibe in the Minnesota-New York Oh, Michigan. Game. They were down by 20 in Michigan. I was like, they're going to fold because that's what this team has done in the past, just completely roll over when they get down like that. And that was the first sign of them showing like they don't get rattled when they get down big or like something had switched that they no longer get rattled when they get down big. But um, there have been a handful, like probably maybe three, four, or five games this year that they've won – that I don't think they would have won last year. Yeah. Mark Loving. Uh, the, Mark Loving. The, the thing is, um, it's funny, like they just like they popped up the Big Ten, sta- Ten standings again the other day. It's like every time I see the Big Ten standings, it's always sort of like, well, you know, what, what's Ohio State now? 14. They're, they're 14 in the rankings? Yeah, we've got three spots. And they're, what are they? Are they 11 and 1 overall or 10 and 1? They're 11 and, 20 and 5 overall, 11 and 1 in Big Ten play. And it's like 11 and 1. It's always like, how, who have they played? Who have they really played? But it's like, you look at the standings, obviously. So they haven't played Purdue, who's number one, who's undefeated. Yeah. But then behind them, I don't know. Maybe this is a dumb thing to think. But they've beaten everybody. That it's like they show, oh, okay, well, who have they beat? It's like, well, the behind them is Michigan State, who only has two losses. They beat them. And then I think Michigan and Nebraska are both eight. I was like, Nebraska's eight and four in the Big Ten? They beat Nebraska. They beat Michigan. Like, they just – it's a reminder that the Big Ten's not great, but they've beaten everybody. Michigan State's third. Nebraska is fourth. Michigan is fifth. Penn State is sixth. Penn State is sixth. Okay. Even, like, that Penn, that game at Penn State coming up is going to be pretty good. Yeah, like, I don't – I've said this before, I think. I don't I don't think the Big Ten – when did I say that? Oh, I, said, I was on television. I said it. Um, I was on television. <laughs> I'm a TV star. I wore a blazer. My hair looked good. Um <laughs> I don't think the Big Ten was ever as bad as like I think some national people wanted you to believe it was. Like the, it's not the top is not as good as it's been in the past. But I think the bottom and 
the bottom is better, and I think like the middle is starting to show you that maybe it was a little better than we thought. Because I like Ohio State shouldn't have lost to Penn State, but I don't think Penn State's a bad team. I think Penn State's a team that under Pat Chambers has like struggled to get big wins, but has often been in position to get them. Um, and maybe the Ohio State game was a change, but I think like the, the middle of the league is actually like halfway decent. All right, let's do this. We're gonna start playing NCAA tournament games. First, we'll play the the less fun game. So here's the thing about the thing. Just a bunch of basketball fun the rest of this podcast. We're going to play how many teams is the Big Ten going to get in the tournament. We're going to play where will Ohio State go in the NCAA tournament. And then we're going to play how can they beat Purdue. And then we'll get to a couple of your questions. Does that sound all right, Landis? Okay. So normally, we just know this, the, the Big Ten usually gets in like six or seven. That's yeah. always sort of like, and now that they're at 14, sometimes they get in eight, right? I don't they've know. Gotten, yeah, they've gotten eight before. So that's usually what you're thinking about. I think between six and eight is normally what you're thinking about when you're thinking about NCAA bids for this league. It's, it's usually a strong league, and usually, you know, I mean, Ohio State's been in a lot of situations where um, it's been like, oh, if you finish nine and nine or 10 and eight in the league, like you're right on the edge. There was the year that they had ten. There was a year they were ten two years ago. They were ten and eight in the league and didn't get in, right? Or were they eleven seven? They had eleven two years ago. They had eleven Big Ten wins. They didn't get in, but the reason they didn't get in is because they beat one team ahead of them in the Big Ten standings, and all their other conference wins came to teams below them in the standings. But that league, that, but that year they still got in six or seven as a league. It was just like so. My point is, the if you're in the middle of the pack of the Big Ten, you're usually in, right? Mm-hmm. So how many do we think they're getting in now? So Purdue, Ohio State, Michigan State are for sure. Who after that? Purdue, Ohio State, Michigan State, and Michigan. Michigan's for sure, right. Because they're in the yeah. top 25, right? Yeah, Michigan. Yeah, uh, in the AP poll this week, Michigan. Barring an epic collapse. In the new AP poll, it just came out 15 minutes ago. Purdue is 3, Michigan State is 4, Ohio State is 14, and Michigan is 20. Okay. Um, so they're all in. Okay. And then, who's the next? Is Nebraska in? Is Penn State in? Is Minnesota in? No, I think like the team with the best chance is Maryland. Um, but the problem for Maryland, Maryland had a stretch last week where it played Michigan State and Purdue, and like needed to win one of those games, and they didn't. So in the, and they're in Maryland's last seven games, right? One, two, three, four, eight games. They lost to Ohio State, lost to Michigan, lost to Michigan State, lost to Purdue. And they don't play any of those teams the rest of the way. So uh, Maryland was all in the bubble, and I think they're off of it now, short of some kind of Big Ten tournament run. Um, but Maryland, they're 16-9, and nine, and they're 5-7 and seven in Big Ten play. So they have a lot of work to do. But they were the one team, I think, that was on the bubble for a little bit. Uh, Nebraska was as well. I saw Nebraska a couple weeks ago was like, not the first four out, but the next four out. I think Nebraska had to beat Ohio State, and they didn't, because they beat Michigan by 20, and then the next game was against Ohio State, and then they lost, obviously. Um, they don't, the only good, like, halfway decent game they have remaining is Maryland, who we just talked about, so they don't really have any opportunities remaining on their schedule. Okay. Like, so, short of the Big Ten. So tournament. how many teams is the Big Ten getting in? Four. Wow! Which I think, I wrote this. I think it's their fewest in like eight years. This league sucks. Okay. <laughs> so Ohio State moved up to what? 14? 14. They were 17? Yeah. At one, the highest they've been this year is 13. 13. Right? And then they had their one loss in the Big Ten to Penn State. 
and they fell to 17. Now they're up to 14. We like to play this game because the game is called um, Book Landis's Travel. Mm-hmm. Just book your flight to Boise, man. It's over, right? You're going to Boise. There was Why a, are we even talking about it? There was a time in my life where I wanted to move to Boise. Is, is the it basketball- Boise or Boise? I'm saying Boise. I think it's I'm it's uh the hoi polloi say Boise. Oh. The fine, the yeah. finest, uh, the finest, uh, the upper crust of Idaho. Refer to it as Boise. Boise. Is the court is the basketball court blue? I don't think so. No. It should be. That would be a good that'd be a good clickbait headline for us. Is the basketball court in Idaho blue? Stay tuned. And the answer is I'm writing that. Yeah, no. No. Um <laughs> So that's explained to people why they're going to Boise because there are, and again, mostly this is called gaming the Cleveland.com expense account. Yep. <laughs> Can Landis ride his bicycle <laughs> to the NCAA tournament? Because I'll tell you, when I was covering basketball, like I got lucky a lot of years because they were good, and they get you get geographic preference when you're good. So they almost always were within driving distance in the first round. And that's such a big deal in the first weekend. Um, because as we know, it's hard to book a flight with, you know, three days notice. But the three drivable NCAA sites from Ohio this year are Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Nashville. Yep. So when you are thinking about, so this is also for fans. We're not just talking only about Landis's expense account. We're talking about you who might think, oh, maybe I'll go. The thing you have to think about is if you're one of the top 16 seeds, if you're seeded one through four, right, there are eight first-round sites. There are two of those top 16 seeds. And I don't want to – I'm going to say top four seeds. So it's one through four in the east, one through four in the every bracket, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So if you're seated one through four, you get geographic preference because every one of the eight sites gets two of those teams. And again, back in the old days, they worried about what overall region you were in, and they don't worry about that now. You could have two one seeds at the same local site. You could have two three seeds, whatever. But those seeds, if you're seated one through four, you get geographic preference in order of seating. So what you need to figure out with the team is what are the sites near you, but also what are the teams near you geographically that are also good, who could wind up seated ahead of you and take the spot at your local closest first weekend location. So we're talking Detroit, Pittsburgh, and Nashville. Could Ohio State wind up there? So I guess, I mean, Pittsburgh and Detroit's like a coin flip from Columbus about what's closer. So we'll talk about those in the same breath. Let's just do, let's do Pittsburgh first. They've been in Pittsburgh in a first round site before. Um, But first of all, there's one big roadblock for Pittsburgh right off the bat, right? Villanova. Villanova is the best team in the country. Yeah. You're likely number one overall seed. And the problem is there's not another, like there's not a local site like for the big East. Right there's no like New York or Washington or Boston or anything or Baltimore. No, the closest would be Charlotte, but that's that's ACC. That's not Big East, and Pittsburgh like isn't even Big East anymore. So the, so Pittsburgh, although it's close to Ohio, is actually 
the most logical location for the best team in the Northeast. Yep. And that's Villanova, and they're not going anywhere. So Villanova is taking one of the Pittsburgh spots, guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Who else is a contender for the second Pittsburgh spot that maybe could be a candidate for an Ohio State team that's a three or four seed? Uh, like someone like Cincinnati, who uh, ESPN has rejected as a three seed. Um, I like BracketMatrix.com because it pulls together like 10,000 brackets and then creates uh, an aggregate bracket. They have Cincinnati as a three seed. Um, Cincinnati is number 11 in RPI. So, and that's like all that's better than where Ohio State currently stands. So that's the thing that Ohio State is now the 14th team in the country, still the third best team in Ohio. Yeah. So, which is a problem when it comes to both perception of your program and also NCAA tournament seating. Yeah. Because Xavier, yeah, Xavier is three in RPI. They are on ESPN a number one overall seed. Uh, and Bracket Matrix has them as a number one overall seed. Okay, so Villanova's taken one of your spots. You've got to deal with Cincinnati and Xavier. And now, what are we thinking about for Detroit? What's the, what is Detroit leaning at the moment for its two seeded teams? Michigan State. Uh, as Which a, is in Michigan. Right, it is. Yeah, uh, two seed at the moment from, on ESPN. So they're uh, projected to go to Detroit, and then the other one is Purdue, um, who's the best team in the Big Ten and, and in contention for number one overall seed. And that's like the, the champion of the Big Ten, I think, is probably going to end up in Detroit. And that's Purdue's closest spot. Yeah. That is Purdue's, like, the, the, yeah, like Detroit is like the Big Ten spot. So no matter, how, but no matter how good Ohio State is, at the moment, they're the third Big Ten seed. Unless Michigan State collapses or unless Ohio State beats Purdue and runs the table and wins the Big Ten tournament, you know? so Possible. So, again, we are now talking about Detroit and Pittsburgh. Villanova's taken a Pittsburgh spot, locked up. So that's three spots left, two in Detroit, one in Pittsburgh. And you're dealing with Michigan State, Purdue, Xavier, and Cincinnati, who all have priority ahead of you and want to be in those spots too. Yeah. So that's a problem. That leaves Nashville. Which, again, is only like, what, five would, hours from just Columbus? Just there. It's five hours and 38 minutes. Can we do, if we want to do a 45-second Bill Landis Nashville travelogue, do we do it right now or in two minutes? We can do it right now, and I'll just say it's my kind of city. <laughs> what wow. is, what, does that, is that related to beer? What is that, what it's is re- my... Yeah, yeah, it's related to beer, uh, live music, literally everywhere. It's unavoidable. And... Um, Multiple places where they'll put fried chicken on a biscuit and then cover that in gravy. Really? Yeah. Did you eat hot chicken? I did. We had, so like Hattie B's is the place to go. And someone actually told us it was kind of overrated, but it just worked out. That was the easiest place for us to get to. So we went there and it was good. Um, I actually thought that hot chicken takeover here in Columbus was actually a little better. Um, but then we went to another place uh, in downtown Nashville, like near Broadway, which is like the main drag. Um and they had hot chicken pizza. Whoa! That was excellent. Wow. So, are you a country music fan? I am. You are? Yeah. I did not know that! Yes. I'm not a huge... From Philly? My mom was a huge country music fan. I got it from really? her. Really? Yeah. The first concert I ever went to was Garth Brooks. So, like, I, I, don't, know, I don't know a lot of the new country artists, but... Uh, yeah, I, country music is definitely something I listen to fairly often. So how how many different places or how many different times did you hear someone singing a song? Oh, 
Uh, well, if you walk down Broadway, it's like every every storefront, every every bar has a band like near the wind. Like it's it's unavoidable when we walk down Broadway. But then like you'll be getting gasoline somewhere, and there's like a I don't know, fried chicken place across the street, and there's some guy in there with a guitar singing. Like it's 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 literally everywhere. Because I think I I've only been to the Nashville airport, and I was through it once. But I think like I don't like country music at all, which we all have different musical tastes. Yeah, it's just I'm just telling you how I feel. But I like that. I, I would like. I like to sit in a restaurant and eat a piece of chicken and hear someone play a jingly jangly guitar. Yeah. But I don't want to listen to it on the radio. Some of the we didn't. We were only there for two days. So we didn't go to as many places I would have liked. But the one place we went to on the first night we were there, the band was very good. It was also I've I go to the Jersey Shore a lot for the summer, and a lot of the it's not like a lot of the places in Jersey Shore have like de- fairly decent cover bands playing there every night. Um, Nashville's cover bands were a significant notch above, like, Jersey Shore cover bands, which I guess isn't a surprising thing to say, but you could tell, I I found myself wondering, like, what percentage of the people who perform in Nashville are, like, just bar bands, just trying to make a buck, and, like, do it as a side thing, and, like, people who are, like, actually trying to make it as a professional recording artist. Yeah. Um, but it seemed, like, pretty consistent across the board that, I like, everyone I heard, like, wow, that guy's an incredible singer, that girl's an incredible singer, I wonder, like, how many millions of albums they've sold yeah um but the one place we went to had a good mix of like 80s covers 90s covers and country covers okay so i think you would have enjoyed that yeah did people dance oh yeah yeah were i they, didn't i didn't dance but some people were Were they were they doing like like country dancing no stepping just, or just regular just dancing? like uh white people shimmy yeah oh i love the white <laughs> people shimmy yeah i think a lot of people there are trying to make it like the next Strawbridge, Strawbridge Sturgis or whatever is, is like there like in two years. You're trying to say Sturgill Simpson? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> He's the next one of him like was there. You saw him. Yeah. And in two years from prayer, now, yeah. he's going to be on the Country Music Awards. Yeah. And Mark Pantone's going to be listening to this. <laughs> Mark Pantone, if you're listening to this, will now know you listen to Buckeye Talk. Because Mark Pantone loves country music. Mark Pantone. <laughs> I'm going to get Mark Pantone a shirt that says, I came here to do two things. Recruit and listen to country music. And our class is full. <laughs> He's going to wear that shirt. The next time the Buckeye Super Country Fest is in Ohio Stadium, Mark Pantone will be wearing that shirt. And on the back, I'll say Buckeye Talk. Yeah. I came here to do two things. Recruit. And listen to country music, and our class is full. (laughs) Can Ohio State go to Nashville? If Ohio State goes to Nashville, we guarantee a Buckeye Talk meetup with Bill Landis in Nashville. Book that right now. You may begin rooting for Ohio State to go to Nashville just for that. Is there any chance Ohio State goes to Nashville? It seems slim. Like if here's the thing about all these projections: if they beat Purdue on Wednesday, like throw them out the window because their seed is going to in- increase. I think. I think right now they're at a ceiling of being a four seed, and a lot can happen in the Big Ten tournament. They can win it, and that would change it. But just based off regular season, I think they are at their current ceiling of being a four seed. If they beat Purdue, that changes, and even think beating Michigan in a few weeks can change that. Um, but at the moment, even Nashville seems a little unlikely. Um, ESPN actually has Xavier projected to go to Nashville as a number one seed. Which makes a lot of sense. Right. And then uh, they have Auburn going there as a two seed. Auburn is number five in RPI. They're 21 and two. Um, and just for a reference point, Ohio State is number 20 in RPI. 
um, a 20 and 5, number 20 overall in RPI. And RPI at the moment still matters, even though it's kind of dumb. So I think here's, here's where it stands then. Detroit at the moment is Purdue and Michigan State. Pittsburgh is Villanova and either Cincinnati and Xavier. Mm-hmm. Nashville is either Cincinnati and Xavier and Auburn. Mm-hmm. And then also West Virginia is kind of floating around in a similar spot to Ohio State. You need to stay ahead of them. And so that's where you stand if you're Ohio State and you're trying to be in a... Oh, uh, Tennessee also. Oh, we're talking about Nashville? Yeah. Yeah, Tennessee is also ahead of Ohio State. Okay. So tennis... So, I not mean, in, in RPI. Not, I think actually not in seeding. Tennessee... No, Tennessee is also at the, like on the four-seed line at the moment, too. Okay. So. So, so basically the bottom line is so, something's going to have to happen, and it's not just with Ohio State. You need somebody. You need Xavier or Cincinnati or... Michigan State or Auburn or somebody, you need somebody to like lose three out of four or something. Mm-hmm. Because you're, again, it doesn't really matter, but it's, it's just for fun. It's for having more Ohio State fans in the gym on the first weekend. Yeah. And it's for Landis being able to like not bankrupt our travel budget, go into the NCAA tournament, you selfish Idaho-loving basketball Yeah, I've been to Detroit, I've been to Nashville, I've been to Pittsburgh plenty of times, I've never been to Boise, and I'll cut off my arm and go to San Diego, so I'm not complaining. But yeah. I want you Buckeye Talk listeners to have the opportunity to potentially go watch Ohio State play without breaking the bank. But I think that stuff is interesting, Yeah. and so, so again, what happens in the end, and it's almost like this, if you care about this, you would rather Ohio State be a five seed than a four seed, because what happens is they have to distribute the top 16 seeds, to the eight sites. So once Detroit and Pittsburgh and Nashville fill up, then they look at who's left. And the four seeds, and there's never enough good teams in the West to fill up the, the sites out there. Mm-hmm. So you always wind up with like two weird four seeds in some far West place, in Spokane or Portland or Boise, mm-hmm. because Boise State's not... like. Washington State's not there. Like Gonzaga is going to be one of the teams, but they need somebody else to be there, yeah. right? So that's why that's why we're talking about this because in the end you have to you have to fill that up. Now, if Ohio State's a five seed, if they lose a little bit and they don't end up as a five seed or a six seed, you don't get geographic preference anymore, but you sort of increase your chances because if you're a four seed and you're not local, you're going to get dumped wherever they have to fill the spot. But if you're a five or six seed, you're you're bracketed with another group with a new group of people. But then the problem is you have to be. If you're a five seed, you have to be where a four seed is because yeah. you're playing the four seed in the second round. So it's like, well, if there's if Michigan State and Purdue are in Detroit and neither of them are a four seed, then if you're a five seed, you can't be there. So then you've got to look, where did the four seeds get dumped? We're going to be in one of those four spots as a five seed. And if you're a six seed, you've got to say, well, where are the three seeds? But then it's possible. Then it's like, okay, well, if Pittsburgh, if they're a six seed and Pittsburgh is Villanova as a one seed and Xavier as a three seed, then maybe, or Cincinnati as a three seed, then maybe if Ohio State's a six seed, they could wind up in Pittsburgh and be ready to play Cincinnati as a three seed in the round of 32. So that's just how you have to think about these things. Maybe some people think that's boring. I love that stuff. No, I, think, I love yeah. trying to figure that stuff out. I think people are are they want to go watch this team. I think one and two. I think it is interesting where they get where they get set up. So that's that. That's that's Boise talk. 
Um, although I would like to have a Buckeye talk originate from Boise. It might happen. Purdue. Let's talk about the Purdue game. And then, unless we want to take a couple questions first. Uh, we, can, we can finish with questions. All right. We can talk a little bit about Purdue. With the, with the caveat that neither of us are Purdue experts. We are Ohio State experts. I'm, I'm going to just start putting that at the beginning of the podcast in general. Like, sometimes they say, like, uh, there's a podcast I listen to that says, this podcast contains mature content or whatever. Yeah. And I'm just going to say, the people in on this podcast are not experts in the field they are discussing. <laughs> what is your percent chance that Ohio State can beat Purdue? Let's see what Kempom's is. Uh, I got mine. Kempom's is 20. <coughs> 20% chance of winning on the road against Purdue. Um, I'm probably around there. I maybe maybe be a little lower than that. I might be closer to like 15% now with Cam Williams not playing, just from like a depth perspective. I'll say 16%. Nine. I say nine. Nine. That's low. It is low. Here's the thing. Does okay, Purdue does Purdue's A game beat Ohio State, of course. Mm-hmm. Does Purdue's B game beat Ohio State? Yeah. Yeah. Does Purdue's C game beat Ohio State? Uh maybe not. Does Purdue C I think the first range where Ohio State can win is Purdue's C game against Ohio State's A game. I might give Ohio State a pretty decent chance if it's their A game against Purdue's B game. Their A against their B? Yeah, I don't. I, I still don't totally know how to view Ohio State. Like, I don't know how good they actually are. Because as good as as well as they played, like we've discussed at the beginning, the Big Ten is kind of just okay, and they haven't really played anybody of significance in the Big Ten since they played Michigan State. Um, but I don't know. Like, they have a first round NBA draft pick on their team. No, I know. So, yeah, I think I think their A game can be better than Purdue's B game. How many did Kata just score against Illinois? Thirty-five on like like fairly efficient ten for sixteen. Finish the sentence. Kata Bates Diop must score at least blank points for Ohio State to beat Purdue. Twenty-five. Okay. His average is twenty. Can Purdue? And obviously, I mean, Purdue's going to say like I don't think Purdue's going to say let Kata get his and shut down everybody else. I would say triple team Kata and yeah. let's see if anybody else can do anything. Yeah, I think that's the plan too. The one thing I was looking this up last night, because um, I, th- I I thought that I knew this as knew that as knew this is a fact, and I looked it up and it turned out to be true. Like Jay Sean Tate in his career has played very well against Purdue. Really? I don't know. He's a tough matchup in general for a lot of teams. Um, he averages his career average scoring is eleven points per game. He averages sixteen points per game against Purdue. Is there is <sighs> Jay Sean was getting a lot of action just inside again against Illinois just with the – like there were a couple times like the shot clock's kicking, ticking down. It's like, what are they going to do? It's like, well, Jay Sean has the ball. I guess he'll dribble, dribble, like I said, spin, spin. post, spin, reverse, lay it in. Yeah. God, he is such a good finisher this year. He's, he's a good finisher, and he's really – he's difficult to stay with. And you wouldn't think like he's not – He's just on the block pivoting. He's not moving really anywhere, but he's he's difficult because those guys want to block a shot because he's six foot four and they want to send that thing into the third row, and then he gets him with a little hesitation and then he gets an easy layup and finishes a well. But is this is it not possible that this that this is the team that blocks a shot? 
I don't know. Like I said, he's been good against. Like it's not. He's been good against them. A Purdue team that had like Caleb Swanigan and Isaac Haas has always been there. Isaac Haas is like eight feet tall. Um, I don't know. I think in in some ways, like Jay Sean is better against some of these bigger guys because they don't know how to guard them. So at the the height of Ohio State excitement, I came on this basketball podcast and said Ohio State is going to be a four seed in Boise and lose to the thirteen seed. Mm-hmm. Like this is just this is the test, right? This is they played some elite teams early in Gonzaga and North, North Carolina, Carolina and and Ohio State just wasn't quite this team yet by then. And so um they've only played one elite team since they've become this version of Ohio State. This completely formed, well-rounded, both ends of the floor, playing together, playing smart, well-coached Ohio State. And that's Michigan State. And they played a great game against Michigan State that day. And Michigan State just had its collective heads up its collective butts. Mm-hmm. They played awful that day. They have a, they had an NBA lottery pick. Two. Who, they did nothing that day. Like, it's so, it was so weird. But that was... Um, and then it turned out it was like, oh, maybe Michigan State's not as good as everybody thought. And then Michigan State had like a rough week, and now they're back, right? They're yeah. a top five team. Mm-hmm. So that was a really good win against a top five team. But that was like that was Michigan State's. If we're talking a a game, b game, c game, what was that? Was that Michigan State's d game? Might have been, yeah. Or, or c at best. C, yeah. So that was Michigan State awful. And Ohio State really good. I just think this is a reckoning. I just think this is a a reminder game, and not in a bad way. I think it's a game that makes you appreciate everything they've done because I think they go and get their doors blown off and make you realize, wow, Ohio State has the second best record in the Big Ten. They're eleven and one in this league, but there's there's such a gap between Ohio State and Purdue. It just makes you realize how Ohio State's had to do everything right in all these other games because when you just line up and go talent versus talent in a game like this it's not close yeah and i think like purdue purdue is probably is not the most talented team ohio state has played michigan state's more talented (coughs) north carolina is probably more talented um i don't know gonzaga is maybe not but the thing you wrote about after the was, I think it would have been the Nebraska game, like how all the pieces fit together, like the compatibility of all the guys. Like Purdue plays together very well. Um, and it's weird. I think people actually kind of expected it when when they lost Swanigan, that they would be a better team, um, which happens sometimes. You lose an NBA guy who dominates the ball, and then when he gets out of there, things open up a little bit, and you're a little better. Um, I just, like, they're, they're playing so – well, I shouldn't say that. So Purdue has won 19 in a row. They won by two at Rutgers the other day on Saturday. Like, Rutgers put a real scare into them down down two guys, and it's on the road, and that matters. Um, last five games have been decided by f- an average of five points. Um, Purdue gets some rest. It's Saturday. They played Saturday. They don't play again until Wednesday. I don't know. It's possible that Purdue uh, – I think Purdue is really good. It's possible they're not a juggernaut. Like, it's possible that part of their success stems from how just kind of average the Big Ten is this year. Um, so if there are truly four teams at the top of the league and then a drop-off after that, and it's Purdue, Ohio State, Michigan State, and Michigan, 
like maybe the gap between Purdue and Ohio State is not as big as, as I think it is or as you think it is. Because I do also think this could be some kind of reckoning for Ohio State. I don't think they're going to get blown out. Um, I think they're just going to have a hard time winning because it's a tough matchup when it's on the road. And they haven't played in the road environment like this all year, even though they are 4-0 in true road games. Um, but the more I've thought about it and the more I've started to like give Chris Holtman and Ohio State a little more credit, um, maybe the gap is not that wide. So you think it's possible that we're going to find out that maybe Purdue's a little overrated? Yeah, yeah, because Purdue also hasn't played Michigan State yet. They play Michigan State after they play Ohio State. So this is a big week for Purdue. Some validation, I think, for them. I don't, and Purdue has some good wins. Like, Purdue beat Arizona early. Um, Arizona, like, stunk at the beginning of the year and, and has since gotten, gotten its stuff together. Just looking. Purdue in this 19-game winning streak has beat Arizona, beat Louisville, um, beat Butler pretty soundly, and then the rest were, like, bad out-of-conference teams and the Big Ten. So, and before that, they beat Marquette. They lost Tennessee, lost to Western Kentucky, and Western Kentucky's a very good mid-major team this year. Um, so, like, the schedule, I think, has just been kind of okay. So Not great. So, who... So, if Purdue hasn't played Michigan State and hasn't played Ohio State, what is their, like, most convincing Big Ten win? Michigan... They beat, uh, let me double-check that. Let's see. They won at Maryland. They won at Michigan by one, 70-69, and then beat Michigan at home, 92-88. So they have two wins over a ranked Michigan team by a total of five points. All right, Purdue's a fraud. Ohio State wins. <laughs> Maybe I'm overrating Purdue. I mean, Purdue is, I like Ken Palm. Kempom usually steers me in the right direction. Number three in the country in adjusted offensive deficiency. Number one in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency. Michigan State, I believe, is number one in both those things when Ohio State beat them by 16. So those are important numbers. Purdue's numbers are very impressive. I think the Big Ten is pumping everyone in the league up a little bit. So no one in the Big Ten is good because the whole... I don't think anyone... Wait, you just I don't said think, the Big Ten... I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think anyone in the Big Ten is great. But you said, is the middle good or not? Is the middle? Good? I think the middle is better than people want to give it credit for. It's still not as good as it, I think it has been in the past. Because if so, Purdue. Because honestly, the middle used to be Ohio State for what for a while. The middle was Ohio State. Because so Purdue and Ohio State have built much of this by beating the middle. Mm-hmm. But honestly, because they haven't played each other, and Ohio State played Michigan State, so the top three teams in the Big Ten. At the moment, the clear top three teams at the moment have only played one game against each other total. Ohio State versus Michigan State. Because Purdue and Ohio State haven't played yet, and Michigan State and Purdue haven't played yet. Yeah. And Michigan, which has four conference losses, has two of them to Purdue and one to Ohio State. So Michigan is in a similar situation as these teams. They've also been just beating up on the middle and the bottom, which is what they've played the top and haven't won. Purdue also, or Michigan also lost to Nebraska. Okay. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't say 55 point loss. I might be backing off 55 point Yeah, loss. I just think it's like the, the, there is a definite drop off from the top four. And I think if you want to draw conclusions off anything that happens at Big Ten play, I don't think you can do it against any teams but Ohio State, Purdue, Michigan State, and Michigan. And Purdue hasn't played Ohio State and Michigan State yet. They played Michigan, and both games were close. And Purdue won both of them. Give them credit for that. But Ohio State beat Michigan pretty soundly if they're rallying back from 20 points down, and they beat Michigan State by 16. Both those games were at home. And, again, that makes a huge difference. But 
I don't know. I'm not. I'm not trying to talk myself into an Ohio State win because I'm not. I, I'm not going to pick that. I don't think. I'm not going to. Um, but I don't think it's like a hopeless cause. I think. I think. I think they might get on the floor in the first ten minutes. You might think, oh, Purdue's not really as good as I thought they were. Is Kada the best player on the floor in that game? Yeah, I mean, people people are saying he's the Big Ten Player of the Year. Yeah, I think so. Like Carson Edwards is having a really good season. Um, Purdue guard Carson Edwards is having a really good season, and also in, in running for Big Ten Player of the Year. Um, but Kate is the only one on the floor who's a projected first round draft pick, possible first round draft pick. Okay, I'll be curious. So it's it's not a, it's not that tough of a turnaround. It's a Sunday, early Sunday afternoon home game followed by a Wednesday road game. So they got to. You know, relax Sunday night. It wasn't like playing at six o'clock at night on Sunday. They got a full full recovery Sunday evening, Monday, Tuesday, fly to Purdue on Wednesday and play. I guess. I'll be curious. I I just feel like the thing I said earlier about wondering about like how hard I, the best Ohio State players had to play against Illinois. I wonder if I wonder if we don't get an actual read on Ohio State and Purdue and how good they really are in relation to each other because Ohio State just like lays an egg because they're tired, it's a tough road environment, they're shorthanded, they get down early, the crowd goes nuts, and it just like gets away from them in a way that it hasn't. That every time you thought it was going to get away from them in Big Ten play, it hasn't. They've rallied. And like maybe there's just not the juice there to rally and Purdue's too good and... Even even against Illinois, what was the what was the lead early? Illinois. 15, 30 to 15. 30 to 15. And then Illinois didn't score for 10 minutes and Ohio State led at the half. If it's I feel like if it's 30 to 15 Purdue's ahead on Wednesday that that means that the final score is like 80 to 55. Yeah, I think that's possible. This is playing at Mackey Arena is like the one thing left that this team has not done yet. Because their four road games were at Iowa, and the, even the players said like it was kind of half empty because it was right after the holidays and students weren't back yet. They played at Iowa. They played at Wisconsin, um, which Wisconsin's down this Wisconsin year. And plus, that's like the shot. That's not the college environment. Correct. So they won at Wisconsin. They won at Iowa. They won at Rutgers. They played at Northwestern, but it wasn't at Walsh Ryan. It was at the weird arena they're playing in because Walsh Ryan's getting renovated. And they were supposed to play at the barn in Minnesota, but that game got moved to New York. So they have not played in a raucous road environment, which it certainly will be on Wednesday night. And I think that is something to take into consideration. There's like six or seven like excellent, excellent home court advantages in the Big Ten. I would say like Indiana's one, Purdue is one, Michigan State, Michigan State is one. Minnesota's one. Is it Illinois decent too? Illinois is one. Um, Michigan can be one. Um, and like you said, they haven't played any of those. They haven't played any of those. They yet. play, yeah. They play at Purdue, and then on February eighteenth, they play at Michigan. Uh, they also play at Indiana to close the season on February twenty third. Like Maryland can be that, yeah. So oh, they, Maryland, yeah. Maryland's really good. They haven't played there. They don't play Maryland, at Maryland this year. So yeah, so that's that is an interesting, and that's the kind of thing too that's like, and and that really, again, if we're talking again now, if we're jumping back. The committee loves road wins. Very important. And so... Given more weight this year than they have been in the past. If, if if they don't have... Like, winning at Michigan, at Purdue, at Indiana here at the end of the year, that would carry some weight, even if they could, if to win two out of three of those. Lose at Purdue, but if they can win at Indiana and mm-hmm. Michigan... Um, 
They're 14 right now, and whatever they are, what are they, RPI? 20? 20. And again, all that matters, but like, I think right now they're 14 in the AP, but I don't know that the committee would see them as the 14th best team. No, and moment. actually, they so they do the reveal now, the top 16 seeds. They started it last year. Um, that is, if I'm not mistaken, this weekend. Um, and if they lose, obviously they're not going to be among the top four, top 16 seeds. But if they win, they will be, and like, kind of, it's possible they're creeping up on the top 10. But I th- but if they in the eyes of the committee where they are right now, if they lose at Purdue but win at Indiana and Michigan, they would be viewed more favorably than they're being viewed right now. Yeah. It's like, hey, you lose at Purdue. Purdue's really good. But you yeah. went to Indiana and won. You went to Michigan and won. That would be big. There's like a thing they're doing this year. Like they're, And I don't want to get too bogged down in it, but you just might hear it when they're talking about selection. It's quadrants. Like quadrant one, quadrant two, quadrant three, and quadrant four <coughs> are like how the resumes are being presented to people who are making the selections. Um, and obviously quadrant one is the best, and quadrant two is also important in boosting your resume, and you don't want to lose in three and four. Um, at Purdue, at Michigan are quadrant quadrant one games, and they're the only quadrant one games Ohio State has remaining on the schedule. So it's funny. The basketball committee clearly is trying to borrow things. The basketball committee has been around forever. The football committee is new, but the football committee gets such juice out of these weekly shows in the last third of the football season. The basketball committee is trying to steal that a little bit. One question quick on that. Do you know, is the chair of the basketball committee a robot? No. Who is it? It's uh, it's the AD at Creighton, I think. Okay. I think it's who it is. He might be a robot. I don't know. Warren Buffett. Yeah. That's like built a robot in his backyard and made him the AD at Creighton. Um, oh, wait. I have an email about it. Yeah. It's, uh, who's the guy? Bruce Rasmussen. <laughs> Are you director, kidding me? Director of athletics at Creighton University. Bruce Rasmussen is the most robot-y name I've ever heard. That is such a corporate name <laughs> that robots would get together and say, what, what Bruce? Bruce what? Bruce C3X412? No, how about Bruce Rasmussen? Oh, that's much that's better. Yeah. He probably wears a tan suit. Oh, God, we're dead. <laughs> Let's do uh, a couple quick questions. Okay, yeah, those 16 seeds come out uh, Sunday at 12.30 on CBS. Mark your calendars. It means nothing. Um, <laughs> Again, a, a caveat we could add to everything about Buckeye Talk. Mark your calendars. It means nothing. Buckeye okay, Talk. Okay, not a ton of questions, um, but a couple of good ones. Some related to Cam Williams, some not. Uh, real quick, Mike, Mike Fitzpatrick at FitzBits64 um, asked a recruiting question I thought in a very aggressive manner. He said, find out who Ohio State is targeting for classes 2019, 2020, and 2021. <coughs> Do they have a shot at Alonzo Gaffney, 2019 wing from Garfield Heights? Do they want him? Um, I am not going to find out who they're targeting in 2020 and 2021 because I got too much stuff going <laughs> Um And frankly, I don't know why the guys are targeting in 2019, but Alonzo Gaffney is certainly one of them. Um, I think Ohio State thinks it's in decent position with Gaffney. They, they feel like they've been recruiting him. The longest, like since he blew up last summer, he's six foot nine, uh, can shoot threes, but has an inside has an inside out game, like Mike said in his question, um, and does have pretty good handle. And he, he's yeah, he's he's a really good player. He's like a more athletic Kata Bates Diop, in my opinion. Um, he's a top, he's a five star prospect, top twenty national player at Garfield Heights. Used to play at Villa Angela St. Joseph. He's a Cleveland kid. Um, I think they do have a decent shot with him. I think they're recruiting him very hard. Uh, 
I watched him play, it was a, a week ago now, almost two weeks ago now, Chris Holman was there watching him. Um, he is, in my opinion, their top target for 2019. So, yes, they won him. Yes, they have a shot at him. I'm not going to predict they're going to get him, um, but I think they have a decent shot at getting him. But you said you don't want to do 20 and 21, but what about Michi? Michi is twenty. Michi Johnson Jr. is twenty twenty one point guard on that same Garfield Heights team, who I don't have a, a like complete vibe just yet on where he'll be ranked. Twenty twenty one guys don't really have recruiting rankings at the moment, um, but like Michi got offered by uh, Louisville and Rick Pitino before all that crap happened, um, before he played a high school game. Now that could just be like Louisville's weird recruiting tactics, but I think it's more a reflection of how good Michi's going to be. Um, and they're also recruiting him. And the coach at Garfield Heights, I'm going to write a story about this, loves Ohio State. Sonny Johnson loves Ohio State. Um, should I tell him what he told me about the Glenville stuff? Oh, are you saving that for the story? I'm going to write it in the story. Like That is the story. That is the story? Maybe save it for the story. That's really good. Okay. I mean, sometimes we like to give the podcast listeners a little heads up, but that's so good. I mean, I said I the word you Glenville. To, you can put two and two together. I don't want you to scoop yourself. Garfield Heights is an important program for Ohio State recruiting in the state. And Alonzo Gaffney is a top target of theirs. And Michi Johnson, who's way down the road in 2021, I think is going to be a major target of theirs as well. Um, but aside from that, I, I just I don't have uh, – I'd just be making stuff up if I try to tell you about 2020 and 2021 recruiting. Um, but I hope that helped answer some of your question, Mike. And thank you for being aggressive in the way you asked it. Um <laughs> Brian Lucian at B Lucian sixty eight said, "Has Chris Holtman addressed Musa Jallo's drop off? Is it purely youth?" Uh, and he said, "In the summer and fall, they heaped a ton of praise on him, and he did well in the first five games. Could really use him as some depth with Cam gone indefinitely." Um, he's seventeen. Yeah, he's he should be in high school, and I think that's important to remember. And even I wrote a story about. Musa Jallo, after one of the non-conference games, about how I think he's going to be an important player. I wrote a very similar story about Jay Sean Tate when Jay Sean Tate was a freshman, about how he was the most important player on the roster because he's going to be a leader for four years and just kind of like bring the consistent stuff you need from a guy who's going to get his teammates all like you know juiced up for games and stuff like that. He's not. Turned out Jay Sean was also a really good scorer and a really good defender and very versatile and, and important beyond that. Um, and I think Musa will too. He's 17 years old. He should be in high school. His offensive game is just not there. I think his defensive game is 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 pretty good. He rebounds. I think he's starting to realize that his offensive game is not there and is not shooting as much as he has been in the past. I think that's okay. Um, so I wouldn't call it a drop-off. Chris Holtman has not called it a drop-off. I think it's just what you expect when a kid who's 17 years old is playing in the Big Ten. So it is a lot of youth. Um, but, yeah, he will be relied upon with Cam Williams out. I was a little surprised he didn't start. Like when it, when they first announced they were starting Andre Weston, I was surprised by that. Thinking back on it now, it makes a little bit more sense because Andre's three years older than Musa. I think Andre's Andre's a sophomore. Musa's an early enrolled freshman, or a freshman who who skipped the year of, of high school. Um, so it makes sense to me. I just think he's young, and I think you have to give him time. But he is important, and I think he he uh, had a defensive play against Illinois that like sparked their what ended up being a twenty to nothing run that brought them back from being down 30 to 15. So he's done some stuff, even though sometimes on offense, he looks like he can get a little lost. Do you want to talk about VJ King? I just wanted to look up VJ King because, um, I remember when VJ King was at VASJ and we, he would thought it was St. V. LeBron school. Oh, he was there's St. V and there's VASJ. Yeah. VASJ is David Lighty. Yes. St. V is Dante Booker and Paris Campbell and, and, uh, and, and LeBron uh, James Jr. Le- LeBron James. 
Will Ohio State recruit LeBron James Jr.? Yeah. Didn't Thad say LeBron James Jr. had an offer when he was like eight years old and everyone went crazy because Thad was just making a joke? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I don't know where he's going to... It's possible LeBron James Jr. is going to high school in Los Angeles and not Ohio. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd imagine... When are you writing been. why LeBron James's free agent decision is so important for Ohio State basketball? Tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> Can we stop recording now? <laughs> <laughs> So VJ King and then VJ King left and went to prep school somewhere, right? He transferred from uh, St. V to uh, Paul the Sixth in Fairfax, Virginia. Okay, and he wound up at Louisville. I remember we thought like this is like a really important recruit for Ohio State. He wound up at Louisville. Uh, he's in his second year at Louisville. He's averaging twenty-five point four minutes and nine point three points per game. He's our fourth leading scorer. And just when we were talking about. A guy like Alonzo Gaffney, and it's very, it's very important for Ohio State to get the best kid in Ohio. That is not too much to ask. No. And and like while at the same time we say like sometimes Luke Kennard goes to Duke, it also is a reasonable baseline expectation. And then when it doesn't happen, that should be the exception to the rule. But I remember you know it's like VJ King. Oh, my, but you know I I don't have any idea about VJ King. He was in the same class as like Carlton Bragg, and like they they did not do well in Ohio that year. But he's not averaging. I'm not besmirching B.J. King at all. I haven't watched Louisville play one minute. He's not averaging 20 points a game. You know, it's just one of the things. I was just curious what he was doing. Yeah. So. Okay, a uh, couple more questions. Alan Kitchen, A. Kitchen 87, say, or asks, is this team doomed against teams with great guard play? Obviously, there isn't much depth there for Ohio State. As good as C.J. Jackson has been, he isn't super strong with the ball, slash doesn't seem to move well against tough guards. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it's I think it's less like, quote-unquote, tough guards and more big guards. Yeah. Um, and Purdue, I was just looking at Purdue's roster. I might have closed the page. I might have closed the page for you when I got VJ King obsessed. So Purdue's, uh, Carson Edwards is 6'1". Dakota Mathias is 6'4", 200 pounds. That's a big dude. Nojal Eastern, who's a freshman, who Ohio State really wanted, um, is 6'6", 220. Um, he'll, he'll guard a guard. PJ Thompson is 5'10". So, uh, and Ryan Klein is 6'5". So they have some decent size at guard. CJ Jackson is 6'1". Um, Cam Williams, if we're playing a six-two, Andrew Dockich, I think is is a, a generous six-one, six-two. Um, so they're just they're little at the guard position, and moving forward, they want to address that, bring in some bigger guard. Luther Muhammad next year is a, a, a much bigger guard, but I don't think it's toughness as much as it is size. And I think anytime they face long guards, that's going to be a problem for Ohio State and CJ Jackson, who um, has been great this year, way better than I thought he would be, but I still think at times when he gets pressured, like has a tendency to like pick the ball up and then try to throw a crazy pass, and that pass gets picked off, and a team scoring on the other end. So, yeah, I wouldn't be concerned about any time you see long, like 6'4 to 6'6 six, six guards who are long. I think that's going to be a problem for Ohio State. Last question. Is it? Oh, so Dave Fitzgerald asked two questions, and I'll, I'll ask the first one. First, because I'm curious what your answer is, Doug. He said, what is a good result on Wednesday? What should Ohio State fans be looking for? Uh, honestly, nothing, to be honest. Because I don't want to say keep it close in the first half and be competitive with 10 minutes to play. Because I honestly think if they lose by 30, it really does not tell you anything different than what you probably think you already know. And so I would just go in with no expectation. And if, God forbid, they beat Purdue, then all bets are off. Mm-hmm. Then 
when Dan Dockich tweeted before the season that this is a Final Four team and everybody laughed, that's no longer a joke quote. But I, I can't imagine getting to that point. I have zero expectation of getting to that point. But I just think they could get blown out by Purdue and then beat, you know, win at Michigan and win at Indiana and finish 16-2 and in this league and be really good and in the exact same spot you expect them to be. So I don't want to put... I just don't think they can run with, with this kind of team on the road in this situation. So yeah. I have zero. I, I watch it. Watch it like. Watch it like it's a like Ohio State's not in the game. Just watch it like you would watch Purdue, Michigan, like because you're curious and you like basketball. But I would yeah. not watch this with your heart and soul, because there I think there's zero reason. No Ohio State fan should come away disappointed Wednesday night regardless of the outcome. Because you cannot, I don't think you can live in a world where it's like, oh, great. <sighs> well, we lost to Purdue by 40. Now we're only 11-2 and two yeah. in the Big Ten. You know what I mean? Like, it's such, we're, yeah. we're at such a strange place. I have zero expectation. I agree with most of that. I don't, I don't know if, I think maybe you should feel some type of way if Ohio State loses by 30. 30 is a lot. I, like I, I've said this before. Like this season has been so weird, and like Chris Holman talked about it after the game about like how special it is what they're doing is part of the reason he was disappointed in Cam Williams' suspension because like he just wants Cam to be a part of what they're doing. Um, I still I think stand by the the idea that it's been so good already and so unexpected that whatever happens moving forward shouldn't totally disappoint you because you've had a lot of fun watching this team already, but. If those expectations have started to change a little bit, and you're genuinely curious about, well, can they actually win the Big Ten, win the Big Ten tournament, you know, get to the Sweet Sixteen or something like that? Um, losing by thirty to Purdue would be, I think, some pretty hard evidence that maybe they're not built for something like that. So, short of that, I think you just watch the game, you enjoy it, and if they lose, they lose or expected to lose. Um, but losing by thirty, I think, would be a little telling. I don't think you could, if you wanted to be upset about losing by thirty, I think you can be upset by by that that much last question also from Dave Fitzgerald Buckeye Fitzy with camp suspended Holtman only played an eight-man rotation versus Illinois Purdue is deep with talent so will this be the game where the lack of depth lack of depth actually bites the Buckeyes uh yeah I think so I mean if it was ever going to happen it would happen in this game I guess um it I I am frankly kind of shocked, even when they had all their guys, that the lack of depth has not really come back to bite them in any of these Big Ten games. Like I don't even think losing, well, I guess losing to Penn State, you could say was a little bit of lack of depth because they had that one stretch in the second half. Because the stretch of, you pointed out to me. Yeah, foul, foul trouble with Kata, um, Jay Sean Tate just like kind of needing a rest. Cam wasn't in the game, I, I don't remember why, but it ended up being C.J. Jackson and four bench guys. And at that, in that like, it wasn't even. It was just two, under three minutes. Two and a right? half. Two minutes and forty-five seconds, or something. Went from a seven-point lead to a thirteen-point lead or fourteen-point lead. I think it was a ten-two run. Yeah. So and like they ended up losing on a banked-in three-pointer, but all of that matters when you get to the end result. So I guess you want to call that their lack of depth coming to back to bite them. I I would agree with that, but that was also I think just kind of a mistake also by Chris Holtman too. Um, part of it I think was curiosity to see what those guys could do together. Um, Part of it was just like a weird circumstance that he allowed the team to get into at, at that point in the game. But I don't think you'll see another scenario unless three starters have four fouls 
where the entire bench will be on the floor together. So um, depth comes into play every game Ohio State plays. So if you, yeah, they're not they're not as deep as Purdue. They're not as deep as any of the teams are going to have to play if they want to like do anything of significance. They're not as deep as Michigan. Um, but it hasn't bit them yet. So I don't know. I guess it could bite them with Cam out, but I don't think that's. If they lose, I don't think that's. I don't think lack of depth is why they will lose at Purdue. I have no idea what the answer to this is. How many games have there been where where foul trouble was really an issue for them? Uh, the one that jumps to mind first is North Carolina. Kata had three, I think. No, two. Kata had two in the first half, and Holman sat on for like it wasn't seven straight minutes, but it was like a combined seven minutes in the first half. And with him on the floor, it was pretty even. And in those seven minutes, Carolina pulled away big time. Is that the game he only had like seven points or something? No, he was awesome. It was he was awesome in that game. Okay. Um, like in the second half, he was great. It was just that the hole they got in in the first half without him was so big they couldn't get out of it. Okay, because I mean they they have two, maybe three indispensable players. Clearly, in Jay Sean and Kada, and maybe CJ. I would depending. say CJ's earned that. Yeah, J- just to the point of like, if CJ Jackson gets two fouls in the first four minutes, and all of a sudden Andrew Dockich is running the point. For like ten minutes in the first half, yeah, that's just not the plan. Right. That's the one thing that that I think is what happens with with is almost the more important thing than depth because a lot of it is it's like in terms of like rest and all the stuff. Even though we just talked about it a lot, it's like they're young. It's like that. They're young. These yeah. guys grew up in an environment, and I know everybody says this all the time. But it's like they played three AAU games in a day. Like they're used to playing. They're used to being on the court. But I think sometimes it's it's foul trouble. It's like can you if they would have serious foul trouble or, you know, and this, every team's susceptible to this, but one guy turns his ankle and another guy gets in foul trouble. And all of a sudden, yeah, they're a team that would be more affected by that than many other teams in the top 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just the reality of like, if Kada and Jay Sean Tate both get two fouls in the first six minutes against Purdue, like they're dead. Yeah, you know, and and that's there. You would say that about a lot of people. It's like, duh. If you take the Big Ten Player of the Year off the court, his team is in trouble. Yes, but they just are relying so heavily uh, on a couple guys because when they put their subs in, their backups just like don't score at all. Just don't have like any offensive game. Like Andre Wesson, Chris Holtman has said a million great things about. I just does it, he just does not have a lot of confidence to like handle the ball or shoot contested shots at the moment and and i get yeah. that that's fine yeah. but if if you end up with him and musa jallo having to play big minutes or all of a sudden now you're micah potter's having to be really leaned on i know micah's more of an offensive player but you don't want to have you don't want micah potter taking 14 shots you know so it's just one of those things that they're just more more susceptible to a couple things that would go wrong but the good thing about this team is that you know Short of that, there are other things that have gone wrong, and they fought back. Yeah. When they've been able to have their guys, they fought back as a group. But I think if you take one or two guys out of the mix, and one guy is already out of the mix. Yeah. You know, like before, it's like, okay, well, Kata, if Kata got in foul trouble, it's like, well, now you might look for Cam a little more, right? Now yeah. it's like Cam's got to shoot some jumpers, more jumpers. And now that's one, that's another guy that's not there to lean on in case something goes wrong. So I, I just think that's where it would crop up. Yeah, I guess I guess I agree with that. My my point was what you said at the end there is that as long as they are not particularly deep, but as long as they're as long as Kata, Jay Sean and CJ are available, 
I wouldn't worry too much about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, listen, it's going to be a fun game on Wednesday. Um, Landis will be there. It's going to be a very busy day on Wednesday. Again, National Signing Day is 10% of what it used to be, but there are a couple guys still in play for them. They might add a guy or two. They might add nobody. Yep. Can you give a two-minute bonus National Signing Day where things stand at the moment breakdown? Because when we talked last week, again, we're not going to talk to you guys before National Signing Day. We're, we expect to talk with Urban Meyer, maybe Alex Grinch, and maybe some of the early enrolled freshmen on Wednesday. We would like to do a podcast after talking to some of those people to bring you guys some fresh content. But it's is it possible that they are what they are? That they're at, what are they at, 23? 23. And that that's it? Yeah, so they I would say they had like four and a half remaining targets. Um, the two big ones were the offensive lineman Rashid Walker and Nicholas Petit Frere, or maybe it's Petit Frere. There's no little what's the thing over the e that makes it petite. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 Wagyu. Yeah. I think it's called. Um, Does anyone just call him NPF? Yeah, NPF. Yeah. Um, so NPF and Rashid Walker <laughs> are the two big two big ones, both offensive tackles, and then there was Tavion Thomas, who last week looked like he was in. Uh, Chris Oates, who about a week and a half ago looked like he was in. And Javante uh, Jean Baptiste from New Jersey, um, and now it looks like Jean Baptiste, Chris Oates, and Tavion Thomas are all out. And there's no guarantee that they get either of the offensive tackles. MPF just visited this week, um, but he's also being recruited heavily by Greg Schiano, who might be moving on to uh, the Patriots, as predicted by Bill Landis. Yeah. So, uh, and Walker's not a home run. I think Penn State is probably still the favorite there. So, three guys are kind of just out, and that just kind of happens. Whatever, like, I don't, like, nothing. It sounded like Chris Oates might have pulled himself out a little bit, and then I think Ohio State might have just changed its mind on Tavion Thomas, which makes sense. It wasn't a position of need. Um, and neither was defensive end with John Jean Baptiste after they got Tyler Friday and Tyreek Smith. So, um, yeah, it's very possible they're at 23 and they stay at 23, unless they can swing things with uh, Pettit Frere or or upset Penn State for Rashid Walker. So were we, uh, there, uh, I can't remember what we said last week. Was it 87? They're at 87 right now. Is that part of this, you think? Do you think they're just being responsible with numbers and being like, listen, we're at 87. We mm. think there's another guy or two, but we don't, we don't want to get to 90 because we don't know how we would get down on the numbers. Like some, Maybe, all, maybe. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know that for a fact, but if, it's, if that were the answer, that would make sense. But why would they not take guys? Like, because theoretically, if if the numbers... So, here's the thing. I don't want to turn this into... We can talk about this after the fact. Yeah. 30 seconds on this. If your choice is not this kid or that kid, your choice is this kid or nobody, mm-hmm. why would you take nobody? And I'm not trying to, to talk down about a kid, but I, but, like, do you think it would just be like, well... Like, that position room is crowded. We're just not sure exactly if he's going to really help us. Or do you think the numbers would, would certainly be part of that thinking? I think the numbers are part of it. But I, like, like uh, I don't know what the word for it is. Um, but say you were to bring on Tavion Thomas, who's a running back. And then, like, what are Brian Sneed and Master Teague supposed to think about that? Two guys who have been committed to you for a long time at that position who are part of your future. And then all of a sudden you're bringing a fourth guy. Because Jalen Gill's in that class too. That's just a lot. Like at the running back position, that's a lot. That's why like, do they even dink around with another kid then? 
Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Um, we'll get an answer. No, we won't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like, I think it's. I think in the end, if it's probably not numbers, I don't. I don't think they would have gotten so deep with some of these guys if, if numbers were a real issue. Um, I think they're in a different kind of position where they have available spots, and maybe you feel like an urge to fill those spots, even if you don't necessarily have to. And then if you get to sit back and think about it for a few a few minutes, you think, well, maybe it's better for the health of our roster if we don't just fill all the spots because we have the spots. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that that's where we stand on that. So we'll have some stuff coming. Um, look for it. Look for it like Wednesday later in the day. That's where we'll leave things now. We don't know, know exactly what the plan is in terms of interviews on Wednesday. So we're going to play a little bit loose. But we'll let this stand through Wednesday morning at the very least because the big basketball game Wednesday night. We'll have a ton of coverage on Wednesday. Podcast form, stories, videos. Again, talking to all these people about this class. And we haven't talked to Urban Meyer for a while. So uh, if Greg Schiano is leaving for the New England Patriots, uh, if we finally get a read on Alex Grinch, if he talks to us for the first time, if we know what his job description is, it's going to be a big day of Ohio State football news. So make sure you're reading and listening and watching to us uh, to Cleveland.com. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, it's it's a, it's a good. It's an interesting time. It's an interesting time. This is this is like the when this when this beat is at its best, which it, it has been most of the time that I've been here since 2005. Which is why it was a little weird the past couple of years. But it's like you know, it's almost it's recruiting, and Ohio State's really good at it. It's almost time for spring football, and there's a lot of excitement and anticipation. And by the way, the basketball team is very competitive and very good and playing really important games. It's kind of a cool thing about covering a program like this that when Ohio State's at its, at its best, which it has been, it's not either or. It's not a place like Indiana where it's basketball season and the football team is, oh, maybe they'll make a bowl. You know, and it's, yeah. it's not a place like, uh, like uh, Alabama where I guess Alabama beat Oklahoma in basketball the other night. And maybe they're decent, but it's like, oh, you know, maybe Alabama basketball will make the tournament, but they're not really a factor. You know, you're at a place where. The two major programs at their best can be a factor. That's where we are right now. How'd you do all that when you're by yourself? It was a different world, yeah. Bill Landis. Um, but it's like you were you were just really busy, and uh, but it was different. There was no podcast. Podcast didn't exist. There was no internet. There was no computers, mm. and I just chiseled it out on a rock <laughs> and uh, threw it in everyone's cave every morning. Um, <laughs> All right, he's Bill Landis. I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks to you guys for listening. Read our stuff at cleveland.com. Follow us on Twitter at BillLandis25, at Doug Maurice, and, of course, at Tim Bielek. He'll be back for a football podcast. Um, so, again, he's Bill. I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk.